0: All right, Notre Dame football fans, it is Tuesday night of Notre Dame's bye week. I am Tyler Horka. That's Patrick Engel. We're Notre Dame football beat writers for BlueAndGold.com, BlueAndGold Illustrated, and And Notre Dame is on a bye week, a little bit early for a bye week. I think there's a lot of people out there that just saw Notre Dame play against North Carolina, and they would love to keep playing this Saturday, but that's not the case. Notre Dame is practicing about three or four times this week, and then they're going to have the weekend off. They're going to be at home watching games. The coaching staff is going to be on the road looking at prospective players all over the country on the recruiting trail. So uh, be on the lookout. Mike Singer at blueandgold.com does an excellent job covering Notre Dame recruiting for us. But Patrick, uh, we're going to talk a little bit of football uh, with the current guys that are playing for Notre Dame over the next hour or so. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of start. At the beginning here, it's, it's only four games in. Like I said, usually you get a bye week a little later, but Notre Dame is two and two, and it's been a, a turbulent two and two, I would say. Um, down and then up. I wouldn't even call it up and down because it was literally down and then up. The, they lost to Ohio State in that season opener. I think a lot of people came away feeling pretty good. Marshall was rock bottom when you lose 26 to 21 at home against a Max school that has not won a football game since, that is kind of concerning. I'm not a big transitive property guy, but you can't help but look at that. But then Notre Dame beats Cal with a backup quarterback and goes on the road and has an offensive outburst against North Carolina with that backup quarterback Drew being Drew Pine. We're going to talk a lot about him over the next uh, hour or so. But Patrick, all of that, considering Notre Dame's 2-2 and record, where are you at with this team? I'm sure you've
1: adjusted your expectations, but how are you feeling about Notre Dame football right now? So you're not a transitive property guy. So you you mean you don't think Bowling Green would beat Notre Dame? (laughs) I don't think so. Uh, I'm not going to put my money on that one. I'm not a betting guy either, but I'm definitely not betting on that. No. And man, Mac put some respect on the Sunbelt's name. That was a big week for the Sunbelt with Marshall and and Georgia Southern and uh, App State was it, but yeah, let's get to, like you said, up then down and or, or down then up and really there's been like enough turbulence or speed bumps or potholes or whatever you want to call them in four games that, you know, to span a whole season and and maybe more than the last couple seasons combined, at least uh, before uh, Brian Kelly left for, for LSU. And I mean, think about it right now, like what eight wins is, would probably feel like a, a good outcome considering it all. And just even in the last like three weeks, think of how many different ways that would have been viewed. Like if you told someone, and after Notre Dame lost to Ohio State and only gave up 21 points to an offense that since has been on a roll, you they you say eight wins and people would think you're a moron. And then they lose to Marshall and you think where are you getting to eight four wins, let alone eight. And now after just finding something that seemingly works, albeit maybe less consistent or still a little bit prove it with, with Drew Pine and the defense that's kind of come around. Like I think that feels like the the baseline or what would be a a, a good outcome for a season that's like we said had all this turbulence. And
0: want to be careful
1: of like what one game against a bad defense uh with a quarterback who started the season of a backup of just reading too much into that. But I think it got rid of the idea that like the rest of this season is going to be a slog every single week where you have to win every single game, like 17 to 13 or something like that. Like there will be other bad defenses on the schedule. There's a Navy, there's a Stanford, there's UNLV in theory, even though they just beat the reigning Mountain West champs. And enough of that, enough of those left on the schedule to think, okay, what you saw against North Carolina isn't going to be a one-off, or at least you can take care of most of the games that look like Notre Dame should win just based on talent alone and was used to winning the last five years. And then really you forget the opponent vermin. And I think the harmony that you saw between that Tommy Reese and Drew Pine in that North Carolina game is maybe the takeaway that feels less like opponent reliant and something that if you want to look at something that's, all right, this is a really good sign for what's coming up next. uh, I think that would be it.
0: Okay. So for me, it's Notre Dame had a pretty similar schedule to start the year last year. Take Ohio state out of it. Obviously, Ohio state is an anomaly compared to the last two years. You don't play the number two team on the country in a row on the road in a lot of years. They did that this year, but say Cincinnati was Notre Dame's Ohio state last year. And I know that came in game five and this is only game four, but we're talking during the bye week So you had some games on the schedule where to me, Marshall was like Toledo last year where Notre Dame could have easily lost that game to Toledo. And then they end up losing to Cincinnati and then all of a sudden they're looking at three and two after five games. I think this year, Notre Dame could easily be looking at three and two after five games. BYU will we'll get at, to, at the end to what we think is going to happen the rest of the way. But I think BYU in a week and a half is very beatable. So if Notre Dame is sitting there at three and two after five games, and they could have easily been three and two last year, are they that far off is the question that I'm asking from where they were last year. And I know the offense is, is pretty far off. And the only time they have looked really good this season would be against North Carolina last week and North Carolina can't stop anybody. You know, they, they can't stop a nosebleed. So, but what I'm saying is everyone was panicking after Owen 2, And I thought they looked really good against Ohio state. And then, against Marshall there may be a pick six away from winning that game at home and against Toledo it was kind of the same thing they needed a last minute drive so if you were in the camp and, and I might have been in this camp I might have had one foot in one foot out type of thing where I was panicking about the Notre Dame season a little bit after two games I think they've righted the ship in the way that they needed to especially with the backup quarterback and Drew Pine because once you were 0-2 and Tyler Buckner was out of the equation I think a lot of people were in that panic camp, but. Now you've kind of stepped out of it and you're looking at the remaining schedule there and you're saying, okay, you can beat BYU. They're they're not this formidable force. Stanford's terrible. UNLV is terrible. Syracuse is beatable. I know they're 4-0, but they're beatable. Clemson obviously is going to be the really big one, but Navy, terrible. Boston College, terrible. USC looked beatable against Oregon State last week. So we're going to get to what we think is going to happen in those games at the end, but just to wrap up this conversation on the way that we're feeling right now, I think you got to be feeling pretty good if you're Notre Dame, just in the fact that you got it to two and two heading into this bye week And there are some signs that the things that you didn't do well in the first couple of weeks, you're going to get better at as the season progresses.
1: Yeah. I, I think maybe if there's one difference between the parallels of last September and, and this September, as you got wind, it's backup quarterback compared to a guy who led a Wisconsin to a Big Ten title, even though, as you remember, last September that wasn't exactly on the stablest of footing with uh, Cohn eventually getting benched in back-to-back games that it hadn't, that hadn't even happened yet through the first four games. But and yeah, I guess you don't have a you know a top fifteen pick at safety back there, no. and so I, I think it's probably still a little bit more of like I, I don't th- even if you were angsty about Jack Cohn in the moment last year, I think there was a sense of like this would stabilize probably more than there is right now even though i like i think you saw enough from drew pine in the last couple weeks to at least like think this is going to be like a like competent offense that yeah again you're not going to have to to win every week in a slog and yeah i I think if there's going to be something that like we look up and say like wow this played out exactly the last year it's the offensive line and like you'll remember they gave up six sacks to Toledo. Like that was, that was really bad. And then obviously that ended up stabilizing. And I know that the defenses they played in the second half weren't exactly these great pass rushers or just great at stopping much of anything. But when you give up six sacks to Toledo, like I don't think you can just throw away any progress. And it's the same kind of thing with when you get owned at the line of scrimmage by Marshall and you lose to Marshall, I don't think you can just throw away progress that you saw against North Carolina where they put up 45 and really left, what, 13 points out there that were, Easily for the taking between a goal line fumble, a missed field goal, and uh, I forget exactly what the other <laughs> the other situation was there, but like easily could have gone over, over 50. And, they went for it on fourth down,
0: I think right, is what you're right. we're talking that's, about.
1: That's right, and that could have been an easy, what, 42-ish yard field goal there. So, yeah, I, I think if we look up in like five, six weeks and you see an offensive line that's playing pretty well, protecting Drew Pine pretty well, and at least – creating the way for a effective ground game that has a little bit of explosiveness mixed in there. I'm not going to be surprised at all.
0: Yeah. Just one more, a couple more things to wrap up on this topic. You, you mentioned the offense a lot there. Notre Dame did not put up 567 yards in any game last year, which is pretty remarkable because like you said, they went against some pretty bad defenses. I don't know if they went against a defense that is falling so hard like North Carolina's is right now. Gene Chiswick is obviously not the answer. And I think Mac Brown is at the very end of his head coaching tenure, but, you got to go all the way back to week two of 2019 for the last time Notre Dame put up 567 yards of offense. So you've played a lot of really bad teams between then and now. And somehow this is still the highest total since then. So I think you're feeling good. I saw Nicholas there comment and say, maybe Drew Pine is better than Tyler Bucker from a raw athleticism and talent perspective. I'm not so sure, but I think Notre Dame has schemed schemed something up for Pine that makes him maybe as good as Tyler Buckner would be. I think Tyler Buckner, they were a little too married to that zone read and it just wasn't working out in the first couple games of the season. And obviously, Ohio State's got a really good defense. But, yeah, my bottom line is I think you're feeling pretty good if you're Notre Dame. Let's move on to a Marcus Freeman conversation. Patrick, I'll give you the floor. As turbulent and and crazy as Notre Dame's season has been holistically – for Marcus Freeman, it's had to have been all of that and more because this is the very beginning of his coaching tenure. All of a sudden, you're the first Notre Dame head coach in program history to go 0-3 in your first three games. And I've all, I've said it all along. Yeah, two of those first three were number nine, Oklahoma State in the Fiesta Bowl, number two, Ohio State on the road in the horseshoe season opener. 105,000 people, but 0-3 is 0-3. Patrick? He's, he, I think Notre Dame has rebounded a little bit. And what have you seen from Marcus Freeman in the last two weeks to make you feel like he's kind of on the right track as well?
1: Yeah, I think honestly, this North Carolina game was a pretty good illustration of like him being on the upswing. And like you look at that game as one that he finally kind of like influenced, where like how many times have you heard coaches and it's like it's one of the, they have some version of the same cliche. Like I, what I've always heard was, four over four moments, like final four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half. Like you look at how Notre Dame like controlled and kind of owned that against North Carolina, really because of how Freeman and and the offense kind of like dictated that and how they set this up where score a touchdown, force a three and out, go kick a field goal, manage that whole field goal drive correctly, then get the ball to start the second half like you know you're going to do. And then go score a touchdown, and then obviously you get a stop, and then another touchdown, and then this thing's all—it's over basically. So, I think you look at that as far as just the in-game decisions and smoothness of it as like something you probably wanted to see in this first four games or before the bye week, and that uh, became especially important after the valleys it went into uh, the first couple of games there. So like to be able to head into a bye week saying you out coach and out maneuvered a team that has a head coach and defensive coordinator who won national titles. I think that's a pretty good thing for a guy who you probably expected was going to kind of fail before he succeeded or have to, you know, learn to crawl before he learned to walk, even though the the low point of that is beyond the pale of whatever you would have expected with, with growth, growth points and, and a loss to Marshall. So that's like the, the end result of where you're at with the bye week with, what you just recently saw from Freeman, I think is good. Even if like, yeah, the, the, the valleys there are, they, they, if they put the alarm bells up a little bit that, wow, this might really be more of a, an experiment kind of thing in this first year. Like I think that was a a reasonable conclusion at that time, but you just wanted to see eventually how we respond to it. And I think this North Carolina game was a good response and again, something you want to see more of, but uh, a sign that's like, all right, it's, you don't think of it as much as opponent as the fact that it just happened and there's some kind of growth there. And if you're looking at the opponent, yeah, it was a team that's led by a guy who has a national title.
0: Yeah, and there's only five of those, including that guy in the country who are currently coaching a college football team. So that's no small feat for Marcus Freeman to go in there on the road and do that. And I never want to say that losing to a Mac team, and I know you, you, you made the joke that, hey, let's not rip on the Mac, but Marshall was Marshall. And I don't want to say that that is going to be the best thing that a new head coach can endure is losing to a team like that on home in your home opener in the first game that you've ever coached at Notre Dame stadium, you lose to Marshall 26 or 21. I don't want to say that's the best thing that can happen because it's not Notre Dame would have loved to win that game. All of its fans would have loved to win that game, but that threw Marcus Freeman into the fire right away. Because let's think about this, the Oklahoma state game, you get a pass. You're playing without your best offensive player in Kyron Williams. You're playing without your best defensive player in Kyle Hamilton. It's a bowl game. A lot of funky stuff happens. You're coaching against, we're talking to, you know, we're on the conversation of really good head coaches. Mike Gundy is one of those go look at his bowl record at Oklahoma state. It's very good. Go look at his overall record. He wins 10 games pretty much every year. And if he's not winning 10 games, he's winning eight or nine. So that's not a bad loss. You get a pass, you get a pass, for losing to Ohio State, the number three team in the country, they were the number two team in the country on the road against the Heisman Trophy candidate, and you hold that team to under, 400, to under 400 yards, it's averaging well over 500 now through four games, you get a pass for that as well. So Marcus Freeman was 0-2, but I don't think anybody was coming for his next saying, look at his record, it's 0-2. Once you lose to Marshall, though, all bets are off. And we were looking for that, when is the honeymoon over, to, like period of time and i don't think notre dame fans were ever like searching for it because you want that as last as long as you can right like I, we're not married patrick we're young we're in our 20s but when we get married i'm pretty sure we're gonna want to be in mexico on our honeymoon for like two weeks if we can everybody knows that doesn't happen you're there for a week you got to get on the plane the guy next to you smells it's it's all bad that was the martial loss it smelled it was bad he's 0 three what are you gonna do you go out with a backup quarterback, Drew Pine. Tommy Reese schemes up an excellent game plan to make him feel comfortable, and Notre Dame wins a scratch it out, clawed out game against a Power Five team. Then you go on the road against another Power Five team with, like you said, a coach that has won a national title, and you beat that, and you beat that team to a team that was putting up again well over 500 yards. It was the same blueprint. It it played out differently, but you put up, you know, you're you're playing a team that puts up well over 500 yards, and you hold them to under 400 yards so I think there have been some positive signs early in the Marcus Freeman era despite the 0-3 start I really wanted to see how he rebounded after that Marshall loss and like you 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 were looking for that North Carolina moment Patrick you got it now they're two and two and like we said we talked about the schedule a little bit earlier on we're going to talk about it uh, last segment but kind of like the overall theme of Notre Dame football right now I know two and two is not what Notre Dame fans wanted three and one at the worst. They wanted to be in the college football playoff conversation. They're not there, but I think this is a team that could win more games than you thought they were going to win two weeks ago.
1: Yeah. I think what you just ended on there is the right way to put it. And uh, I guess I'll wrap it up with this where it's like, like you don't want to lose to Marshall. It's not good. Your season ended basically as far as playoff goals with that loss If it does, if it hastens anything or speeds anything up, it's probably like maybe stuff you wouldn't have noticed after a win that bites you three weeks later that you just wouldn't have paid attention to or wouldn't have had the urgency to examine after a win as a loss makes you call everything into question. A loss like that, that is so. If there's going to be one thing that comes out of that aftermath, that's good. And I'm careful of how I word that because I don't want to say like this was a good thing because it's not your season ended right then and there as far as the goals they set. But it's probably that where it's like maybe it lessened the chance that something that was kind of simmering beneath the surface that might have blown up in in the Carrier Dome or something or what caused the blowout loss against Clemson or I, I don't know, somewhere down the road uh maybe was able to be addressed a little bit earlier and it cleans that up but yeah i mean look that was uh, that was a scary loss that that ruined it so but yeah you you wanted to see the response and at least as much as you have had, had a chance to in two weeks since i think that response has been largely good absolutely another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help
0: And we've mentioned Drew Pine's name a couple of times. Obviously, if you live under a rock, he is now Notre Dame's starting quarterback, has been so for the last two games. He's 2-0 and as the Notre Dame starter. And I've mentioned it in a couple articles at blueandgold.com, which, by the way, $1 for one year of premium access, that deal is still going on. So go to blueandgold.com. And if you hit the paywall on any of those articles, good thing is you only have to have $1, and you can read all of our premium content, Patrick does an awesome job. Mike Singer, I mentioned earlier. Awesome job on the recruiting front. And then obviously you can read all my stuff as well. So go to blueandgold.com to get that stuff. But yeah, like I've said with Drew Pine and written at blueandgold.com, I I don't have the numbers in front of me. I should have them up. But as a starter, he's like 41 of 50-something. He's completing over 70% of his passes for close to 500 yards and five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Those will get the that'll get the job done against anybody you play. And I know it's Cal and I know it's North Carolina, but Patrick drew pine. Could Notre Dame have asked anything more of him or has he done everything that you would expect him to do through two games as the Notre Dame starter? And there, there are the numbers there for drew pine. And, and we'll just have a quick conversation about pine, what you've thought about him so far and what you think he can be in the final eight games of the regular season for Notre Dame.
1: Yeah. In terms of everything asked, at least after a, uh... Kamiri rescreened into a phone at him I think so and I know that Cal game plan was like not something that was sustainable or that you wanted to see or that is even like great offense as a whole but it it worked in that game and that's what Notre Dame asked him to do and after sailing a throw that no quarterback at Notre Dame should sail he managed it properly and just did a good job of taking what was given to him and making the reads in the, the RPOs. And, and, and you know, they called that one play with whether it was Lorenzo styles or Chris Tyree or Michael Mayer on that RPO, where they did a little screen basically. And all those guys would turn the corner. Like that was, it's an easy throw, but when you're a backup QB, making the first start against a defense where you don't need to be this, you know, crisp high end elite kind of offense, like you just want to see the ball go in receiver's hands. And that's what happened there. And at least they found, something efficient enough with pine in that game or, or competent or functional enough. I think is probably the best word, right. but yeah, I, I think it was fair to wonder after that game of like, all right, let's see what happens going forward here. But if you see that kind of plan where his average depth of throw is 2.6 yards, like you're going to have to wonder how much do they trust him? How much does like, what is this really going to be? Is it going to have to be a slog every week? And Although, no, North Carolina's defense is not good. Like, you were worried about it being a slog against any defense, no matter who they played, even if it was you, me, and nine of our friends. Like, (laughs) I I think it was just important for it to go from, like, a a thing that was functional enough to beat a whatever Pac-12 team to something that can score points and outscore a good offense like it did against North Carolina. And what is that? Like, I don't know that it's – Notre Dame finished in yards per play last year, uh, 43rd. Okay, it's 6.14. I'll I'll probably still take the under on that when you look at the total, when we look back at the end of the season and see what did they average with Drew Pine as a starter. But I think you feel good about it, being able to take advantage of what it's given, whether that's a bad defense or just make the right decisions and and do enough to win with a, a defense that, should hold you know, good offenses below what they can produce and make bad offenses have bad days. So I don't think he's going to make wow throws or you're going to air it out with him. And North Carolina wasn't vertical per se, but I think it answered those like questions of does Notre Dame trust him? And, not only is it yes because they have no choice, but yes in just what they let him do there where it was mixed in a few shots, let him throw in the intermediate range more, and Mm -hmm. by and large, he made those throws. Yeah, there was that one kind of scramble where he missed him there, uh, one post where he threw uh, Lindsay a little bit too long, and then the sack he took was really having to feel the the unblocked pressure there and and know that it would mean another post he had for Lindsay was going to be open with no help and just let that rip. But overall, like, hasn't looked overwhelmed and has done what Notre Dame asked him to do. And what it will probably ask him to do going forward, it will be short of dynamic, but I think it will give him a chance to, again, hit that eight wins and and then we'll see.
0: So you use the word dynamic there. And I'm going to put you on the spot here because this is a conversation that everybody associated with Notre Dame football is having, especially the fans, the Notre Dame offense with Tyler Buckner, for whatever reason played a really good Ohio state team in week one. I think it's inexplicable what happened against Marshall, but maybe we pin that mostly on the offensive line. Do you feel like it was going to figure it out with Tyler Buckner had he stayed healthy to this degree, to the degree of 567 yards against, I know, a terrible North Carolina defense, but 567 yards is that, 567 yards. Do you think it was getting there with Tyler Buckner? Or I present you that quote that Tommy Reese had a couple of weeks ago when he said, Drew Pine is the perfect guy for Notre Dame right now. Those are his exact words. What? Where's the disconnect there? What? Why do you think it ended up being true that Drew Pine was the perfect guy and that he's played outside of a couple throws, like you said, almost flawless football for what he's been asked to do. It hasn't been the most prolific football, but it's gotten the job done. Was it getting there with Tyler Buckner or was a shakeup necessary? And, you know, the shoulder injury to Tyler Buckner, I don't want to call it a blessing in disguise because that guy right there that you see on the screen right there won the off-season quarterback competition. And by and large, he should be starting for Notre Dame right now, but that's not the case. So back to my question, Patrick, was it getting there with Tyler Buckner or was Drew Pine the perfect guy?
1: I think it was going to get somewhere better than it was just because if we're talking about the line improving throughout the year, you have to figure it's going to do that no matter who's back at quarterback. And a little like we were talking about Freeman kind of learning to crawl before he walks. Like, I think there was going to be some of that with Buckner where it's not going to be a finished thing, start one, start two. So you were going to live with some bumps, even if again, what happened against Marshall was beyond the pale of what should have been expected or would have at all, you know, been foreseen as the low point. But I guess I'll answer that ultimately with a kind of a thought I had coming out of Ohio state where, it was this weird situation where you have a a game that went better than expected. Just if you based on the betting line alone, yet I left it almost feeling more down on my, at that point, 10 and two prediction, which sounds weird to say when you have a better showing than I thought at Ohio state, but I just thought it brought out enough, like, bumps in the offense or signs that this might be a little rockier than we thought throughout the course of the year. And there just might be more tripwire that gets them and, you know, makes it it p- puts it below that prediction that I had before the season. So I know it doesn't directly answer it per se, but that was my kind of lingering thought uh leaving Ohio State and processing that game for the the next, you know, 24-ish hours after that. And with Pine, or at least, you know, when you look at the rhythm he and Reese were in and how he can take advantage of whatever defense gives him and look more than just a slog of an offense or a, a competent offense against bad defenses. Like, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have been totally stunned if there was one game where they like just kind of against a not good defense where the offense kind of completely stubbed its toe and and maybe that was the very next week against Marshall so I don't want to say no because this is the guy that won the job outright and I still think everybody had a a belief in the ceiling but maybe you'll get a little bit more steadiness on the floor of it if that makes sense
0: yeah I I tend to agree with that I I left that Ohio State game kind of like you saying Tyler Buckner impressed me from a maturity standpoint for a true sophomore, a moxie type of thing where he wasn't afraid of the moment, but I definitely had concerns with what it could be, or or maybe what that's, maybe the ceiling was a little lower than I thought, may, or, or for that matter, maybe the floor was a little lower than I thought just because of how, how dynamic he is. But there's something there that you said bumps and bruises with the offense are kind of like hiccups along the way in 45 seconds or less. Tell me what you want to see more of from the Notre Dame offense.
1: Yeah, I'm going to start with receivers where more from Jaden Thomas, who's run 94 routes and has three catches, just more Lorenzo styles overall. If you're going to even mix in a few shots or or vertical plays per game, maybe a little bit of Tobias Mayer, I know that's more complicated than that. Like if he's not ready. That's like, that's that, and when we, I think we saw a little bit of a glimpse of why in those, what, four or five snaps against Cal, but if they're going to be even a little bit of that and you could use the downfield contested catch presence, maybe there's a little bit of a spot for him to shine there, but yes, more from the receivers, and, and I'll start mainly with Jaden Thomas And that if you're going to be out there 94 routes over four games, that's almost 25 a game. You've got to do more with that than three catches. And uh, I, I totally agree
0: with you on the wide receivers. That's what I would say too is that Jaden Thomas and Braden Lindsay are pretty much playing – entire games here they're not rotating in at wide receiver and these guys have combined for 10 catches i think it is for less than 100 yards i think lorenzo styles has shown up he's had 15 catches in his last three games but i think he needs to be more of a six to eight catch per game type of guy maybe even like a 10 touch type of game type of guy per game because i mean he's dynamic he's the best wide receiver that Notre Dame has you saw it on the 30 yard touchdown against north carolina He can do some things those other guys can't, but those other guys need to do some of the things that right now we think they can't, which is get open, catch anything, whether it's a slant and out. You saw a couple, I think there were a couple out routes, and uh, Jaden Thomas caught a couple, Brayden Lindsey caught a a couple in that last game, but that needs to be baseline. I mean, that, that needs to happen every single game, and we're seeing against the worst defense that Notre Dame has played to this point, it needs to be more consistent. So we'll switch gears here and go to the Notre Dame defense, which I think not a lot of people are talking about it because this is a team that go basically going as, as the offense goes right now. You lose to Ohio State because the offense didn't play well. The defense played very well in that game. You lose to Marshall because you only score 21 points against Marshall at home. Against Cal, you beat Cal, but you, you have less than 300 yards of offense in that game. These are all games, though, that, the Notre Dame defense probably played well enough to win in every single one of those against North Carolina. A couple garbage time touchdowns. You don't want to give up the 80 yarder. You don't want to give up the 64 yarder. That's a conversation we'll have in a minute. But Patrick, is this Notre Dame defense as good as what we thought it would be going into the year? I think it's been such a crazy year with talking about what the heck is wrong with the offense and Marcus Freeman's start that we're not talking about the defense a whole lot, but. I'm giving you the floor to talk about the defense right now. What have you seen from those guys?
1: Yeah, I think the last two weeks have been more what you expected. And that was a really good North Carolina offense that they held to a lot that looked a lot worse than the the 32 points. And I think they cleared seven yards per play, mainly because of those two garbage time touchdowns. But yeah, like you said, I think they've played well enough to win in all four games, but I don't know that anybody in that room would tell you that they've they played well by their standards the last the first two games that is i mean they they still lost they got run over in, in key moments gave up a lot of rushing yards to marshall didn't get anything from the defensive line like how many times did we hear al golden that first time after marshall say not good enough not, not good enough. enough not good enough that was like his catchphrase right but i, I think this is the the key stat from the last couple of weeks of like i i where that they can really kind of like a defensive line and, and defensive front really being the strength where Against Cal, Jaden Knott, a freshman running back who I know you and I, we were just talking about it as that game went on. We're pretty impressed with, even in a, what, 32, 33-yard game that Notre Dame held him to. That's A really good player Notre Dame held to about two and a half yards of carry. Then last week, he goes out and runs for 279, I think it was, most by a running back in the FBS this year. And it was against Arizona, like not a, a bad Mountain West team, like right. a power five opponent. And then North Carolina, we'd seen how much they ran over everybody, albeit Sun Belt teams and an FCS team. Those running backs, Notre Dame held them to yeah thirty. I like
0: Marion Hampton too, really good yeah. player. But both
1: hey. of those guys, freshmen who won starting jobs at Power yeah. Five schools, like like and you don't do that by accident, especially in North Carolina where they've had really good offenses and and good running games. So that I think is what you wanted to see, and I think what you see more going forward of than. 90 yard drives in the fourth quarter where you just can't get off the field because you're not even getting your opponent to third down because their first down runs are getting six, seven yards every time. And then defensive line, like I think even in those quiet first two games, there was like disappointment in how it played, but maybe not necessarily concerned that it was going to play like that all year. So, I mean, look, we've, we've seen that kind of write itself and correct itself the last couple of weeks with Isaiah Foskey just kind of completely taking over games there. And, well, he's got 14 pressures in the last few weeks. You saw the run defense really show up in the back-to-back plays on the goal line against North Carolina. So ultimately, I think this is heading in in the right direction of where you want it to go. And, yeah, the secondary had those busts, and I think those need to get cleaned up. But at the same time, I think you've got a the defensive MVP back there and Tariq Bracey and a, maybe the freshman – or not even freshman, just general surprise of the year in Ben Morrison already starting uh, four games in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll I'll start with the secondary there. It's one of those things in the North Carolina game where you play so well for so long in that game against some – I mean, Josh Downs, Antoine Green. I really like the tight end. They have a couple tight ends that I really like it at North Carolina. You play so well against those guys for so long there, I don't know, 40 minutes, 40, 45 minutes even almost, that you're like, okay, this is the norm. We should just shut these guys down completely, and Drake May is only going to pass for 200 yards, and we're going to come out of this saying our secondary is like one of the best in the country. At some point, those guys are going to make plays, right? Antoine Green goes right by Clarence Lewis. Uh, How many times did we see somebody go by Clarence Lewis in the Fiesta Bowl? Like, we know that is possible. We haven't seen it as much this year, and I think Notre Dame has been so much better for it. The fact that Clarence Lewis, who is competing for snaps with Ben Morrison, I think both of them have been really good, and Notre Dame has really reaped the rewards of that. But at some point, Green was going to break free. And I'm I'm not saying it should be an 80-yard touchdown, but – If you kind of leave him on an island out there, I think the safety, I can't remember who it was, kind of played too far up, took a bad angle. At that point, Green's running behind two of your guys. He's going to score against anybody in that situation. And then, you know, if it happens twice, you probably shouldn't let it happen the first time, but it happens twice. Then it's an issue. But by and large, I think Notre Dame's secondary was awesome in that game. And that's kind of a microcosm of what they've been all year. I mean, look how much they flustered – uh, CJ Stroud in Ohio State and it was a very conservative I, I don't know if conservative is the word but the Notre Dame secondary was put in a position to succeed in that game just keep everything in front of you Jackson Smith the Jigma obviously was a little banged up so Notre Dame had some things working in its favor there but they still performed they still executed and I think that's been the case for pretty much the entire season so if we're talking from a defensive standpoint I've really liked what the secondary has done I think the defensive line in the last two games has been awesome I mean six sacks against Cal and it probably could have been 10. I think Riley Mills sacking Drake May early in that game on a little bit of a stunt. I think he was lined up on the inside, and you've seen more of Riley Mills at defensive tackle uh, You know the last couple of weeks, which is his natural position. I still think he has potential at defensive end, but that's Al Golden and Marcus Freeman saying, hey, we've got this big dude that put in the right situations. Nobody can block this guy, especially when you stunt him with Isaiah Foskey. At that point, you're saying, who the heck do I block if you're the North Carolina offensive line and they didn't block Riley Mills and he sacks Drake May. I think, I think that kind of set the tone for the Notre Dame defensive line to play an awesome game again. So the last couple of weeks, especially there's been a lot to like, I know they ran a lot of nickel in this past game. So JD Burchan was missing. You throw two linebackers out there. You look at the snap count from that game. You do snap counts at BlueAndGold.com every week, Patrick. And, Maris Leifau and Jack Kaiser played a whole lot of snaps, way more snaps than the next guy. Bo Bauer, what was it, Patrick? Was it like a dozen snaps maybe for Bo Bauer?
1: I think it was between 7 and 10 off the top yeah. of my head. Give me so 30 not, seconds, I'll tell you.
0: Yeah, not even a dozen snaps for Bo Bauer. So in that game, you're relying heavily on Jack Kaiser and Maris Leifau to make plays. And, you know, I haven't studied those two guys specifically every single game that I've rewatched this year, but I thought they played really well in that game too and Maris if I was flying around to the right places a little bit more than he usually does and Jack Kaiser you see him on the screen there has been an excellent tackler I think he leads Notre Dame in tackles now so this has been a pretty complete uh, you know pretty complete effort from Notre Dame's defense and I think it's coming into its own too with a defense I mean with all the levels that there are to it you want the defense to kind of complement each other and you know, come into its own and put it all together is the cliche that everybody uses. And I think they're starting to do that. And there are still questions with the Notre Dame offense, like we've mentioned. So if the defense can keep playing this way, when you get into those slogs, Patrick, like, like you mentioned that there are probably still a couple slogs out there. Clemson might be a slog. BYU might be a slog in Las Vegas in a week and a half. If the defense keeps playing this well, I think you're in those slogs and you can win them. What does the defense have to do though, or what have you not seen enough from, from the defense? And I know the, the easy answer is turnovers. They just forced their first against North Carolina. But for you watching these four games, you come away saying, man, the Notre Dame defense needs to do more of what?
1: I'm going to go, like you said, turnovers is easy and forced might be a little bit of a generous term. Yeah, I think J. It J. Is- wasn't credited with that forced fumble Is it, he, he created the pressure, like, not, not, don't get me wrong. He deserves credit for that. But technically, wasn't giving uh, the force fumble because Drake may drop that. But I'm going to stay on linebackers, though. And I think the reaction to their play the first couple weeks was that they were just like an abomination, was a little bit of an overreaction. Mm-hmm. And like, this is a veteran group that's a smart group that's better than that and, and wasn't going to put forth that the entire year. But I'm going to say you want to see more like havoc more disruption from, from those guys. Like we saw Maris Liefau do that a lot last fall and then in the spring. And like, we we see how intense he is when he like runs into running backs on blitzes and, and meets tight ends in the hole on the run. Like that's great because that's just how he plays and plays at that speed. And you don't want to take that out of him. but like you want to turn that into tackles for loss into forced fumbles into more stuffs. I think that's what you're looking for here from the linebacker unit as a whole, like Jack Kaiser, same kind of thing. Like I I think he's probably Notre Dame's best tackler. And like now that he's playing inside more, like more stuffs, more tackles for loss. And I think you've seen some going in the right direction there the last couple of weeks, especially against North Carolina. And like, even if there weren't, you know, loads of non sack TFLs the last couple of weeks, like, the linebackers were right in the middle of holding two really good running games and running backs to production far below what they're going to produce and what Jade not did the very next week, 274 yards, by the way, I said 279 uh, earlier. So and maybe you get a little more Prince Collie mixed in there. I, I know they, he was close and I think he would have been in there more than he has than the, uh, just a couple of snaps he got uh, the last, last week, but you know, he was kind of in and out of camp, had the concussion, but someone who I'm still really high on as far as like, adding a degree of explosiveness and playmaking there. And even though the the running back kind of just fell on his TFL, that was in part because Kali went up, met a blocker and, and moved him. So I think you want to see a little bit more of him, especially And I think you will in the first half without JD Bertrand in there. And like you said, Kaiser and Maris Lufau playing a lot of snaps, but I'll, I'll go, it, it, even though there, I think the linebackers have been on the right trajectory the last couple of weeks, more havoc plays from those guys.
0: Learn more at marines.com. Yeah, I am all aboard the Prince Collie train. And if I'm not the conductor, then I paid for a nice little seat in the front car. You know, the ones that recline and you can sleep really easily in. I'm on that Prince Collie train. I think he's really good.
1: I'll claim conductor because I wrote the story on him uh, in, yeah. in, in the summer there. But yes, uh, there are seats available in in first class on the train.
0: There are. And I think it's filling up quickly, though, because we'll get on the message board and it's always... Where's Prince Colley? Why didn't Prince Colley play? And I think it's kind of crazy that here we are in week four and we're talking about his first defensive snaps of the season. And he still only played, I think it was 10 snaps. Again, you're the snap count guy, but it was right around there again. And I know the linebacker situation was a little different and I'm not going to toot my own horn here, but you know, before the game, I went into it saying, you're going to see a lot of Maris Lee, a foul. You're going to see a lot of Jack Kaiser, especially with JD Bertrand serving that, first half uh, suspension for the targeting penalty that he had against Cal, but you did see 10 snaps of Prince Colley in a game that uh, it might've called for him, but no game has called for him yet to the, to date in this season. Uh, yeah. I, I am fully reclined in that. I actually, I think I'm in the seat upright position because I am waiting for him to get on the field a little bit more.
1: It was exactly 10 snaps against North Carolina, by the way.
0: Okay. There it is. And I'm going to quickly uh, go ahead and say what I want to see more from, from the defense is, I, I just talked up the secondary if you've been with us this whole time I, you know i think clarence lewis is playing really well benjamin morrison cam hart had a couple of good plays and he's been targeted a little bit i don't know what these uh coaches have seen in their scouts but they said let's go at this guy and he's given up some but he's he's gotten it back some too i think he's going to get stronger as the season progresses but how about turnovers from the back end H- how about more pass breakups on the back end it, a lot of times these Notre Dame defensive backs, who rotate quite a bit, by the way, and they were a little bit depleted against North Carolina, which makes that outing all the more impressive. Uh, Ramon Henderson, I was there on the field pregame, and he had a pretty significant brace on his right uh, ankle. So I'm not sure how long that's going to be, but they could be without him. And DJ Brown suffers a little bit of a hamstring thing in that game. But just talking about these guys from you know a 30,000-foot view, let's – let's get some more pass breakups out of these guys. Let's, let's see some interceptions. You know, you watch football every given week and you are, I mean, I, I was watching the the game last night. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan and you go into a game with Cooper rush and Daniel Jones, you, you expect a ton of interceptions. And I think there was only the one there at the end and it was Trayvon Diggs. but you know, those are the type of plays that Notre Dame has the type of defensive backs who can make those plays. Maybe it's Ramon Henderson maybe it's Brandon Joseph. There's been some issues with his tackling. He can make up for that with an interception or a flying across the field type of PPU that you think that only Kyle Hamilton can make, but I've seen the athleticism out of this guy to know that it's, it's in there somewhere. So I don't know if these guys feel like they're playing a little bit handcuffed or handicapped and that, you know, they're, they're so hell bent on not making mistakes that they end up not making plays as a result, but, I think these defensive backs are good enough to maybe it's the bye week what they need. They come out and say, Hey, let's watch some film here and that play that I was just like in the general area for maybe I can turn that into an interception or a big time PBU and we get more momentum going forward. So I don't know if you have anything to say on the defensive backs from that standpoint, Patrick, but that's the kind of way that I've felt about them pretty much in all four games now.
1: Yeah, I agree. You want to see more breakups and particularly from, Brandon Joseph, I, th- I think you were expecting, even I know it's you still got two thirds of the season uh, through the first four games, probably expecting a little bit more than one pass breakup and the highlight play being a hit that knocked out Jackson Smith and Jigba, as much as that helped. Although, hey, maybe, maybe that hit where he didn't play the rest of the game helps than in any individual pass breakup he could have made against Ohio State. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. But you, you still want to see. Uh, more plays on the ball because you know it's in there with him of like range and and man coverage skills, atypical of safeties where like you can just make uh pass breakups and interceptions that just few uh, safeties can because of those physical gifts. I think you want to see those more overall. And, and Cam Hart, like I think for a guy who most would agree last season was a pretty good starting debut season for him been probably a little more up and down than, than you wanted to see or as far as like, what kind of jumps does he take in year two? But uh, yeah, I think you want to see that stabilize a little bit more. But if, and when that does like another guy you're looking at, as far as someone who can get a hand on the ball more often than, than Notre Dame secondary collectively has so far.
0: And there's that hit that Patrick was talking about and in an era in which they review everything for targeting, ask JD Bertrand. Uh, that didn't even get, nobody even thought to look at it. So I, I haven't seen that play the video form in a little bit when I saw it back the first time, I think uh, he kind of hit him in the back or the shoulder and he definitely wasn't going for his head led with the shoulder, which is, which is very key asking JD Bertrand again. So yeah, Brandon Joseph has a lot in the tank. I think he's leaving a little bit in there though. Maybe it's time for him to push that, that pedal down a little bit. I know gas prices are pretty high right now, but use what you got in there, man. Uh, We're going to do a quick little segment here and we're going to have to make this one fast Patrick, but we're going to do two things we like and two things we don't like. And we're going to have one of each for both of us. And I've kind of already talked about both of my picks, so I'm not going to belabor on mine too much. And then I'll give it to you after that. But what I like, Drew Pine given the keys to an 0-2 team said, here you go, man. You're going to start your first college football game in your third year at Notre Dame, and you're going to have to dig the Fighting Irish out of a hole that it hasn't seen since 2016. This is a team that hadn't had a losing record since 2016, hadn't lost its, uh, I don't know, I don't think it lost its first two games, but it hadn't been two games under 500 since that year. Here you go, you know, and and he's done it, and he's looked really good, Um, really shaky. I've been a Drew Pine proponent for pretty much the entire time I've covered Notre Dame. I, I just like the moxie, the Conor McGregor stuff, inject that right into the veins, but he didn't have that Conor McGregor stuff against Cal in that first series, really that whole first quarter. You mentioned the video from Tommy Reese earlier, told him to do his bleeping job and that the whole bleeping team was counting on him. And since then he's been dynamite. So if you're a Notre Dame fan, I think you have to like it. You don't have to have the feeling that, you know, he is the type of guy that Notre Dame should have starting at quarterback, because I think there's a little bit more out there for Notre Dame than a 511 and a half, 198 pounds soaking wet quarterback who there's questions about his arm strength and can he make all the throws and all of that. He's done everything that you've needed through two games. You have to like that if you're a Notre Dame fan. What you don't like if you're a Notre Dame fan is who he's throwing the ball to, outside of Michael Mayer, Lorenzo Styles, Chris Tyree, and probably right now Audric Estime. I think those four guys, and Audric Estime only has three catches, by the way. So I'll leave it at three guys. Mayor tyree styles notre dame needs some people to step up at wide receiver we talked about it earlier in this show whether it's Jaden thomas whether tobias merriweather not only gets on the field but actually gets some looks downfield and they trust drew pine to throw to him or they trust him to run the route where they say hey this is this ball's coming to you whatever it is those two guys have to show up brayden lindsey has to get more involved Kevin Bauman's out for the year with an ACL injury. Maybe it's Eli Raritan or Holden stays two freshman tight ends that we thought looked really good in fall camp, especially as receiving threats. So I like drew pine. I do not like who he's throwing the ball to out outside of less than a handful of guys.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll brief, I'll touch on mine and then just add one thing on, on the receivers. Like, yeah, I don't know that it's the sign of the healthiest passing game where just two of the uh, top six pass catchers or unless I'm reading the outdated stat, but one of your top three, I know that's the case. Uh, well, is a wide receiver, but it's just kind of where Notre Dame is at right now. And you can't like, this isn't free agency. You can't sign somebody. So you're just going to have to make do with, with what it is. And, you know, I, I think you're already operating maybe what short of ceiling and ideals that you were thinking of going into the season anyway. So you may as well just lean into those strengths. And, and right now that's, that's a tight end at who, is as good as anybody else out there and a running back who you just want to get the ball in space to as much as possible. But what I like Tariq Bracey, I think he's a defensive MVP through four games. I, I wrote as such in, as much in a, a story yesterday, at and And like, not only has he been really reliable in, in the slot as far as like, if there's anything in front of him. The guy's on the ground right away. There's, there's very little yards after catch there when he's in the vicinity. I think yeah. he's tackled really, really well in, in a way that you maybe haven't seen quite as much. He has three tackles for loss this year. He had two in his first four years. Like you see him just react to plays in front of him faster, break on them quicker. You see him beat blocks to get guys down after screens in a way he didn't before, whether that was like putting a move on a guy to get around him or just reacting to it fast enough where the guy can't get a hand on him. So, You want 11 guys like this year's version of Tariq Bracey on your defense. So, yeah, maybe if if Isaiah Vosky keeps playing the way he's playing, he's going to be the defensive MVP at the end of the year. But as far as, like, biggest surprise, most improved, and most important through four games, or at least most consistent through four games, it's absolutely number 28. But I'm actually going to stay there for what I don't like. And it's the pass breakups. And you touched on it a little bit earlier, but I'll read you the number here. Notre yep. Dame is tied with Colorado for 128th in the FBS with you, eight
0: pass breakups. You don't want to be tied with Colorado in anything.
1: No, no. They're like Rutgers-level, like bottom-barrel Rutgers-level bad. Probably the worst team in the Power Five. Yep. And the only teams that are above are Stanford, who you, as Notre Dame fans have watched firsthand, has not been very good on defense for a few years now. And Charlotte, who is in Conference USA and soon to be AAC, but still, like not – That's not the company you want to keep and nor is two pass breakups a game where you want to be. And I know in in some ways it's a little bit of the product of who they played, like Marshall with how horizontal it was throwing and how short it was throwing. That's going to give you a limited number of pass breakups and they only threw it 21 times, I think, that game. But you're going to get teams that are going to go vertical on you more on, on the upcoming schedule. That you've got to be able to get your hand on the football more often. BYU is going to test vertically more. Stanford is going to try to go vertically a little bit more. Clemson even going to do that, and you saw how that offense has seemed to take a step forward recently. B.J. is looking pretty good. And yeah, exactly. Like that was, he just put up what five touchdowns. Like yep. that's a, a maybe more of an offensive challenge than you thought it would be a month ago. Yep. USC going to try to test you vertically, so that's going to be something you need to have more reliably than what an average of two pass breakups, no interceptions, is giving you now.
0: So you just kind of went through the schedule here and this is going to be our last segment of the night on this Notre Dame football update live show with Tyler Horka and Patrick Angle. Okay. I'm going to preface this by saying a lot for me wrote on that North Carolina game. And if they were to lose that it, full disclosure here, we do a magazine, obviously blue and gold illustrated, our picks come in pretty early to try to meet those magazine deadlines. And I picked Notre Dame to lose to North Carolina, wrong, but I picked Notre Dame to beat BYU, which obviously that's still up in the air. I'm not so sure, certain I'm going to change that pick. If if you were a guy that said Notre Dame's going to go one and one in those two games and and that's that, I think I leave that game and looking at what BYU has done, only beating Wyoming 38-24 to 24 last week, the defense has had issues for BYU. I leave that game, North Carolina and Notre Dame, saying – they could probably beat BYU. So we're going to go through these very quickly, Patrick, kind of one by one. I'm going to say what I think is going to happen today on September 27th, and then you tell me what you think is going to happen. I'll start with BYU. I think they're going to go in there, and Notre Dame is going to win in a kind of – I don't know if it's going to be sloggy, but it's going to be sloppy, and it's going to be close. I think Notre Dame beats BYU.
1: I was one of those guys that was – they're going to go one and one in those next two games, and I picked Notre Dame to beat North Carolina – so I'm still kind of kicking it around, but
0: right, cause, cause, that's see, definitely think, had an
1: impact. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You're in my camp where maybe that game changed your mind one way or the other, or, or at least influenced it.
1: It's heavily influenced it. The more I thought about it, the more I think they just might kind of eke out that, you know, slow, lower scoring-ish game that has some sloppiness, but where they're able to just make one more throw, get one more third down conversion, or get one more Michael Mayer big play uh, than, than BYU is able to find and and pull it out. So I uh, for right now I'm, I'm I'm flipping that around and I think Notre Dame comes out with a win there.
0: I know we said the same thing about Marshall, but Stanford and UNLV are just not very good. And I I think Stan, a lot of people thought Stanford would take this step forward this year. It hasn't happened. UNLV has been at the bottom of the FBS in so many metrics for so many years. I think Notre Dame wins both of those games at home, especially playing at Notre Dame stadium where they kind of got that first win there out of, not out of their system, but in their system. And they know that they can beat the teams they're supposed to be at home. So what is that? I have two more wins and I have Notre Dame improving to five and two after those two games.
1: I'm with you there. I, I don't think if they can put up yards on, on North Carolina and confuse a good North Carolina offense, they can, do what they need to do on offense against those two teams and and keep their offenses at bay. I, I don't think either of those is ultimately going to be this threat to actually sit, be sitting there five minutes in the fourth quarter of like, whoa, Notre Dame is actually – this thing's a toss-up.
0: The game that I think can be that, especially because it's on the road and it's a week before you play a team that's been in the top five in the country all year and is probably going to be there that day as well, is Syracuse. And this is a game that is literally a month away. I don't know which way to go either way, but I still think maybe Notre Dame is a team that is like trending toward a, a very middling season. And, and that's the type of game that can trip you up against a Syracuse team that has started 4-0 and, and I think is ranked in one of the polls. Offenses look pretty good. Defenses look pretty good. I think I'm leaning toward – because the North Carolina game did not – it was not a cure-all for me. And I'm not – you know, even after the Cal game, I was sitting there saying I'm still not so sold on this Notre Dame team. I think something crazy happens in that game and Notre Dame comes out of it with a loss. I I don't know if you're there, Patrick, but from – and this can change in the next month, but a month away, I'm just – I'm a little hesitant to pick what would be what a four or five game winning streak for Notre Dame right now going into that Clemson game.
1: Yeah, as am I, and I we talked about going one and one in a two game span. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they can get to two and zero, or they maybe they will go one and one between BYU and Syracuse, and those are the two kind of what feel like toss up games. And I don't know if this team is good enough to make those like automatic or even pull them out. So. Yeah, I'm I'm a believer in so far what Syracuse has done. Their offensive coordinator hire has made a, a really big difference. The guy who was at Virginia last year and made that offense look really, really hard to guard when they had their starting quarterback, which obviously they didn't against Notre Dame last year. I, yeah, I, I think they're going to go one and one in between BYU and Syracuse. And I guess if I pick BYU to win, I got to take the loss here. But Hold me more to one and one between those two right. games than win BYU, lost Syracuse. Stuff yeah. Stuff still gets weird at the carrier dome, it's what it's always known as. It's like the Sears Tower, you can't get it to never not be that.
0: It is definitely, I don't even know what JMA Wireless is. Yeah. You know, all of these phone companies do so many commercials. Maybe I have seen a JMA Wireless commercial, but it's not resonating. So I'm going to continue to call it the carrier dome. Clemson, I've been calling it a loss all year even in the preseason when some people said I don't know about Clemson the quarterback situation is up in the air and and all these other things I think the secondary has been a lot worse than Dabo Sweeney would like it to be he had a he had a quote this weekend it might have been a quote of the weekend where he was just straight up asked how'd your secondary play And he said well they gave up six touchdowns six passing touchdowns but they didn't give up seven and that's all we needed to win so Maybe they can be had, but I think it's more of a situation where the the front that Clemson has might do enough to get to Drew Pine, who somebody made a comment here saying, yeah, he's had some nice runs, but if he's running for his life against Clemson, that's not a recipe for victory for Notre Dame. I think it could be a little more sloggy than we think, but you mentioned that Clemson's offense is turning it on a little bit. I've been calling this a loss since preseason. I'm sticking with that.
1: I am too. I was a little less in on the preseason Clemson is not itself ever again. Uh-huh. And in the same vein, I think I'm a little hesitant to say, oh, Clemson's defense has collapsed, knocked off the throne after one game there against an offense from Wake Forest that has given a lot of teams trouble in the last year and what, four yeah. games now? Slow mesh, hard to guard, really hard to defend. And, and Clemson saw that that firsthand, but I think they stuck with a loss there.
0: Okay, so Navy to me is like the equivalent of an SEC school scheduling an FCS opponent. Like the week before Alabama plays Auburn in the Iron Bowl, they're playing Mercer or somebody like that. That's what this is. That's an easy win for Notre Dame, and then they come home and play a Boston College team that has, by all accounts, had a absolutely disastrous season. There's people calling for v- Phil Dracovic, I don't, I don't know if he was replaced in that game. I didn't study it too much. But people are saying maybe we need to look elsewhere at quarterbacks. So it hasn't been a very good start to the John McNulty offensive coordinator tenure at Boston College. Notre Dame's going to win that game pretty easily and set up a, a, a really big game in the fina- see, regular season finale there at USC. So I've got win-win Navy Boston College. I don't know if you have anything else to say on those two teams.
1: Uh, that's exactly how I have it. I guess I'll add this. I don't know, maybe this is just a lukewarm take. The margin of victory Notre Dame uh, has over Navy will be larger than that against UNLV.
0: Okay, there you go. Lukewarm, kind of like the water that I've been drinking throughout this this episode. USC is another uh, game where I've been predicting it as a loss since the preseason. I, don't, I, I was pretty much 50-50 on it. And when we had to make our season-long predictions for Blue and Gold Illustrated, I didn't know what to do because I didn't know what USC would be. Here's my lukewarm take, because I think some other people are having the same take. What they did against Oregon State, a program that's kind of on the rise. I've liked what Oregon State has done the past couple of uh, years, especially this year as well, that they're looking pretty solid. 17 to 14 was not the offensive outburst that you thought a USC was going to have in every single game this season. But they found a way to win a game like that. And a game like that is probably going to be closer to what the Notre Dame game is going to be because of Notre Dame's defense. So in LA, I think USC is going to be playing. Obviously, the the Pac-12 doesn't ride on that game, but I think they're going to be playing for a lot of pride and saying maybe USC, Notre Dame is like finally back and USC can compete in this game because last year it certainly didn't. And that was a game that you kind of just wanted to be over if you snapped your fingers. But this game is going to be entirely different I have USC winning that game. So I guess if you look at it from what I just said, I have Notre Dame losing three of its final eight games. And that would be a seven and five season, which if you were looking at the rest of Notre Dame's schedule and knowing what you knew about Notre Dame after the Marshall loss, and even after the Cal win, I think a lot of people were saying seven and five. I think a lot of people are still getting their hopes up for like nine and three. I don't want to talk to anybody who who thinks 10 and two is on the table because I just don't think Notre Dame has what it takes to run the table at this point, but seven and five is is not the Notre Dame that people have known the last five years, but neither was an and two start and a seven point victory over Cal. So you you lose to two really good teams in the final eight games and you lose one of those toss up games that you mentioned, Patrick. I don't think that's the worst case scenario, especially with the way the season started.
1: Yeah. I thought this USC game was a, Toss-up-ish, too, that I thought maybe Notre Dame would win preseason. Now I think it's a little bit less so with where Notre Dame is at. And if USC keeps getting turnovers at the rate they are, which is the best way to mask a defense that's not particularly talented and was really, really bad last year. So uh, I'll go USC winning there, and that would put me at 7-5, and too, which I I think really the suspense is that – and the interesting thread to follow here is – Can you make the toss-up games that we talked about? BYU and can you find a way to win both of those? I think that'd be a good, like, just sign of progress for what this season has become and and just where Notre Dame is, and a good sign of Marcus Freeman and how he can impact and how he grows and and maybe how he impacts one of those games. So if you can, if it gets to eight and four, and you know, it's they have just a moment of all right, this is a team that was on its QB that began the year as the backup against a uh, top ten-ish, top five, whatever they end up being, USC or Clemson. Like, okay, maybe that's just you know due for one of those at this point. But if you can make the the toss-up-ish games end up winning both of those, I think that'd be a really, really good outcome. And then, of course, take care of business in the game that, the games that you're supposed to take care of business in.
0: I'll take it a step further. Take care of business in the games you're supposed to take care of business in win both of those toss-ups, BYU and Syracuse, and find a way to maybe beat Clemson, who's not the Clemson of three, four years ago, or beat a Lincoln-Riley-led USC team that, yeah, they're much better than they were last year, and they're getting those turnovers that you mentioned, and the offense looks really good for the most part outside of the Oregon State game. But that team is still beatable, and Notre Dame knows how to beat USC. You win the Syracuse and the BYU game, and you win one of those two games, you're nine and three, which is exactly what I predicted before the season started. And I think you're feeling pretty good about yourself. I think winning all of those, and like I said, running the table is a little too much to ask, but I think we know a little bit more about where the Notre Dame season is headed. Some people a couple weeks ago would have said six and six, maybe five and seven, and they're missing a bowl game. I don't think Notre Dame is that team. They've showed me enough in the last two weeks to say that they're going to win some ball games down the stretch, but we definitely appreciate you guys for sticking with us here for just over an hour on the blue and gold YouTube channel. Go ahead and subscribe to this if you haven't already and like I said a little bit earlier on, go to blueandgold.com and pay $1 for 1 year of premium access. That's 12 months of to me the best Notre Dame coverage that you can find on the internet. Patrick just wrote a couple stories today about a basketball commit, women's basketball is going to be firing up here soon. Hockey starts this weekend fall ball. We might even have some stories about the baseball team. We've got everything at blue and gold.com. Patrick knows that Mike Singer, our recruiting reporter knows that, but like I said, thanks for sticking with us for an hour and we will see you guys next time. Lucky land casino, asking people,
1: what's the weirdest place
0: you've gotten lucky
1: lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office.